Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wealth. I'm your host, Roger Abel. And today I'm joined with Jeffrey Johnston. He's the president, co-founder of Premier Investments of Iowa. Um, Jeff and I have worked together for a really long time. I actually joined Premier in 2003 and um, I left for a little while, but came back. Uh, we're lucky to have you here today, Jeff. We're gonna talk a little bit about a book that you recently wrote and some of the things that happen in the, the finance world that we don't usually talk about. You know, usually we're talking about how to get to retirement, how to save more, take less risk, and all kind of the, I don't know, the, the in the weed stuff, but today's mm -hmm. more about the behavioral side of it. Um, and some of the things that we we talk about, we just talked about some of this in your office, and it kind of relates back to the book that you just wrote, which is called This One's For You. And it's it's a little bit of your life story. And, and I want you to share that story with people mm -hmm. today and, and try to you know maybe teach everybody or give them some information how, how they can better manage their financial future. Um, and it's not always just about the money. Right. So I'm, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about your book. Maybe tell your tell me about your motivation um, and why you actually wrote the book. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Roger. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. Um, in 31 years of doing financial advising, uh, we run across all different types of people. Um, some people have it figured out. They've got the emotional, the financial aspect of retirement down. Uh, they're, we consider them happy retirees. Then you got the, the ones that have one or the other. They have the financial means, but emotionally they're not ready to retire. Um, or they're emotionally ready, but they don't have the money. The perfect scenario is having both. And today we're going to talk about a personal situation that happened to me uh, that kind of changed my perspective. If, if anything, it validated some of the thoughts I had before this happened. Um, and then Roger and I are going to kind of navigate through some of the clutter out there that people can get distracted when it comes to saving money. But there's no question today with, uh, with COVID and all these other uh, anxiety issues that are, people are very uh, pent up right now with, their, with tension, with the elections coming up and stuff. So they, I think they're more apt to, to make poor financial uh, decisions, especially with their investments. Um, and then we talk uh, quite at length about uh, the, the, the problem that the average investor has. They know in their heart, Roger, that this is a 20, 30 year time horizon, but unfortunately they're living in a 20 minute world. So everything's just micromanaged and every decision becomes catastrophic. And uh, you and I know that long-term, it's, it's almost hard to lose money long-term. It's very difficult to make money short-term. And so we're taking a, a fast-paced society today and we're trying to, trying to get people to look at this stuff from a much bigger picture. So I'll, I'll get into a little bit about uh, what happened to me and kind of, um, kind of uh, the new focus that I have with financial planning and kind of where the, uh, the behavioral aspect of it uh, the why behind people in regards to how they make their decisions with money. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, Jeff, but the way people treat money from a behavioral standpoint mm -hmm. probably has a bigger impact on their financial success than actually what they're doing. And, and we can use COVID as an example. Right. You get the calls from people who call up and say, hey, do you think I should go to cash? Because they're worried. Right. Well, it probably doesn't matter. Or the election, that's the big one. What's going to happen depending upon what party gets elected? Well, we just did a show, previous show on this. And at the end of the day, when we input a financial plan or we talked about talk about implementing a financial strategy with somebody, no part of that plan asked, what, what's your political affiliation? Right. And what what do we do when a Democrat or, elected, or a Democrat or Republican's elected? We never asked that. So the behavioral portion is probably more important. And you turned me on to a couple of really good books by um, Mr. Crosby. Right. And we've all read them in this office. And we really subscribe to the idea that a lot of the reason people are not successful right. investing all comes back to their behavior. Well, their relationship with money is is uh, is out of whack. Um, they, they either uh, are, are 
so focused on accumulating wealth that the money itself uh, becomes more important than anything, and they're and they're never been instructed or or taught how to enjoy their money. Um, there's a lot of people that have guilt spending money. Uh, they they accumulate, accumulate, they watch it grow, and then they want to go buy airline tickets to fly across country to see their granddaughter that they haven't seen in five years, and then they complain about the cost of the airline tickets. But then they're portfolios worth $2 million. It's like there, there's a very poor relationship with not everybody, but with quite a few people that we've met. And I, I have a term for them, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but I have called them in the past financial hoarders. And we've all watched the show Hoarders, where you just feel terrible for those people that just, they cannot throw anything out. And in a way, there's an addictive element to accumulating money. And I write about this in the book. Um, and I did interview Dr. Crosby in my book as well. And he we talked a lot about about the disconnect that people have with um, maybe setting up unrealistic expectations, or just the fact that they they've never been instructed or educated on it's okay to spend down your assets. I mean, if you don't, your kids will. The average inheritance is spent less than two years in this country. So, um, I'm telling my clients, make sure you get some enjoyment out of this because if you don't, I guarantee you somebody will. Well, and before before we came in to, to do the show, we were actually talking about the other side of it though. That was kind of the chasing side of it. Right. Where we never feel like what we have is enough. And if I just had more, I'd be better off. And right. realistically, that may or may not be correct. Um, we talked about it actually a month ago. And, you know, we always talk about retirement with people, but we don't always talk about the aspect of what if you don't get there? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people do we all know that passed away prematurely or passed away right when they retired? And like you said, they financially hoarded for the last 40 years and did everything right. right. And they retire and six months later, something unfortunate happens. So so there should be a balance between, hey, achieving the retirement goals that we may or may not have. Right. And then also spending some money now to live the life that we want to live because there's no guarantees that we're ever going to make make it to the point where we get to enjoy this money when we're not working. In the book, I write uh, quite a bit on the concepts of happiness and peace and how as we as humans, we're always chasing happiness. And you get to this this certain place that you think you're happy, but then you're unsatisfied. And so you raise the bar, you go after another another zero behind your 401k and you're, you're never ever reach any contentment. You never reach any any place where you just feel like, all right, I'm there, I'm comfortable, I know where I'm at. And and the same uh, problems with people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, someone addicted to drugs is always trying to ratchet up that high. Their, their, their high is never enough. An alcoholic always has to have that one more drink. It's just, it can't, you talk to alcoholics, they, they can't have one beer. It's gotta be zero or a hundred. Um, or a drug addict that needs one more smoke. Uh, or in my case, in my 20s, I had a compulsive gambling problem, uh, which I write about in the book, which we'll come to in a minute. Um, and I, um, I cover some of the uh, addiction issues I have with ADD. It's very uh, easy for me to get addicted to things. Um, and I, I write about that quite a bit because my son who did pass away, which we'll talk about that in a minute, um, was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder in fifth grade, which is just insane that we're throwing labels on kids today. Um, but again, going back to the peace and happiness is I, I, I'm kind of on this, this mission to figure out why some people have uh, figured out this, this concept and others still struggle. And a lot of it is just unrealistic expectations is that you get to a certain point and it's never enough. And you know, there's gotta be a way for people to, to uh, enjoy what they've done. And it's not just financially, but just your relationships with people. Um, and learn to, to learn to find uh, periods of, of contentment where you have peace in your life as opposed to always trying to get something. And you and I were talking about the benefit of hindsight. Right. We call it wisdom. 
we look backwards and we say, wow, you know, I remember the young Jeff Johnston. <laughs> we, we all play that game. Um, and all of us are always right looking backwards. But I can remember early in my career, my number one motivation was money. And I'm talking 20s and 30s, maybe into my early 40s. And then when you get married and have kids, how quick does that change? It changes. It now changes. Sudden, what do we do with a family? How do we spend more quality time together? But still have the monetary side of it too. Right. So in my situation, October 4, 2016, uh, I was preparing my middle son, Ian, to go play in his um, high school golf uh, district golf tournament up at uh, Cedar Falls. And um, I was taking the my uh, his clubs out of the back of the car. I was going to drop them off. The coach was there. Everyone's getting ready to play golf. And my phone rang. And I looked at the phone and I recognized the number and I kind of knew at 6.30 in the morning that there wouldn't be a reason I'd be getting a call from this person unless it was something pretty bad. And, and I was correct. Um, they had found my son, Seth, uh, our son, Seth, in a hotel room in Waterloo, uh, still in his chair, uh, overdosed from a heroin overdose. Um, really, the, the, the irony of all ironies is he died exactly what you envision a heroin overdose to happen in a seedy hotel in a bad part of town. You know, and, 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 and that's kind of how my son's life ended, but that wasn't the way he was. That wasn't who he was. So in my book, this one's for you, um, it's an inspira inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning. Um, I navigate through uh, kind of where this all started with him. And I, I had a lot of these beliefs with money, Roger, in regards to people's poor relationship with money. And the financial hoarder idea, I had been using that for 20 years. But when my son died and I look back at the addiction issues that we had with alcoholism and, and even addicted to lying, addicted to the things that were unhealthy, I saw a lot of parallels over to our business, a lot of overlap where people uh, are in, in a sense addicted to money, addicted to wealth, and they become rich, old, miserable people. In the meantime, life goes right by them and these relationships that they have could have really endured and, and been healthy, it maybe made them last longer. Uh, uh, they lost sight of that by chasing wealth. And so I do cover that. I have a great interview with Dr. Daniel Crosby, who I see you have one of his books back here. <laughs> He's on the forefront of behavioral yeah. finance, along with uh, a couple other authors that I, that I read. And um, he gave me some really good insight in the physiological uh, elements between, uh, say, a nicotine addiction or, or a compulsive gambling addiction. So some really good information in the book. I'm excited to get it out. And again, I'm just um, I'm kind of honored to be able to have this conversation with Roger today. Yeah, and you've talked to me a lot about where you see the parallels between people hoarding money or in this case being addicted to having the money. And just because you have the money doesn't mean that you're happy. It doesn't mean you have this stress-free life. It doesn't mean that you don't have problems in your own life, but people sometimes mask themselves behind that. Right. Um, and in in the addiction to money is no 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 different than the other addiction, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. And you know, addictions by themselves are not bad. Um, I write in the book, uh, and I joke in the classes I teach for freshmen at high school. I start the question off with, "Is it um, name some addictions?" And all the kids are like, "Well, alcohol, drugs, nicotine, vaping." And I'm like, "How about telling the truth? Is that an addiction? Exercise, eating healthy." Um, um, good relationships. Those are all positive addictions. So the, the word addiction is thrown around way too haphazardly today. And I think people need to start saying it's okay to say addiction. We just want the good addictions. We don't want the bad ones. Um, and again, I think we're all addicted to money, but some of us abuse it. Some of us, uh, it abuses us. There, there's, a, there's a relationship there where it's dysfunctional because I don't treat the money with respect and the money ends up owning me. 
And it's almost a substance abuse problem uh, as opposed to being addicted. I mean, we're all addicted to money, right? I right. mean, Let, at the end of the day. We, we talked about our individual kind of success in this business and how it kind of happens. You know, when you first start out, you're like, man, if I could just get to here, everything would be great. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, we've there, had this happens? conversation. <laughs> but, but then I have to get to the next point right. and everything will be great. And then you get to the next point where you're financially everything you need to have to be happy, but you still can't stop thinking about getting to the next point. Right. And it starts to maybe take away from other things in your life, right. like spending time with your family or taking the vacation. And you kind of have to step back and say, is the money really that important? Or has this become just an addiction to me to say, hey, can I do this? Can I do X? Can I do what people have spent an entire career trying to do? Right. Can I do that in one year? And that was my goal at one point. Can I do what people have spent? an entire career to do in one year. Quite often the the pursuit of success is masking an underlying issue, an underlying problem. So you have people like Anthony Bourdain, who was on top of the the world in regards to his profession, you know, a a chef and having these popular shows and pretty much a cult following. Absolutely. Uh, And he hangs himself in a hotel room in France, taping his shows. And you you peel back underneath what happened to him and you see an individual that had issues with substance abuse, uh, alcohol addiction, heroin addiction, um, his whole life. And he'd been in and out of rehab. Uh, his mom, uh, I think her name's Gladys, was quoted in the New York Times as saying, you know, Anthony was the last person on the planet that I would expect that would hang themselves. And if you think about it, those are typically the ones that do, the ones we don't expect. Yeah. So as parents, as business owners, um, uh, we need to be cognizant of these things. I was approached um, in 2018 by Investment News to do uh, some uh, research or talk about the opioid addiction, which took my son, but how that affects the financial planning industry. And there's lots of financial advisors that not only have family relationships, but clients. Uh, The client will call in, you see a very weird pattern with the withdrawals, let's say, Roger, where they're continually taking money out and you know that this person, there's something going on. And I think as a financial advisor, sometimes we're on the first lines of defense. There, there's, I was, you took the words out of my yeah. mouth. We're typically the first people to see the pattern. But we're bound by law yes. not to say anything, which right. is really, a, a, I guess, a, a challenge for us to try to figure out how we can, we know in our hearts someone's doing something uh, nefarious to them or themselves. How do we, how do we help? I mean, I think the good news is we've come out with a trusted contact and FINRA is trying to, trying to do things to make it so that we can try to keep um, people that are potentially in danger, maybe not of themselves, but of being taken advantage of. Right. We have the ability to contact family members or who is someone they trust in case it happens. Um, and it's funny, we've all talked about the addiction, addicting nature of like accumulating the money. That's that's what we typically talk about the right. orders. But then there's a, the other side of it that we very rarely talk about. That's the addiction of spending money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you've mentioned addiction and related it to today's environment with COVID and people are down and people are unemployed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with overspending though, because it's easy to get there and go to Amazon and click, I, I need this pair of that. shoes. Yeah. And I, I was on last night. I'm like, oh, I'm organizing my garage. So I need this basket from right. Garage Works and I need this basket. Right. And my wife bought a, some Barbie toy for my daughter last. I'm like, man, 20 years ago, you never could have done this, but it's easy to overspend because it's fun to get online and shop. And we don't talk about that much, but it's almost like it makes people feel good. Well, and there was, it, it, it was, you had to make an effort to go spend money in the past. You yeah. had to get in the car, it's cold out, you gotta drive to Target, drive to wherever. 
now you can just sit in your in the confines of your house and a cup of coffee or whatever you're you're drinking and you can sit there and just spend money so they've made it much easier and then you throw in covid and locally here you got the big storm and people are just kind of holed up in their houses and you know, I can sit there and watch the UPS truck come to all my neighbors and stuff. I mean, it's it's more freak, more frequent now, uh, which is, I guess, understandable in a way because that's kind of how commerce moves today. But it kind of makes you wonder how many of these people are just bored and how many of these people are of the opposite. We talked about the opposite of the hoarder is the financial spender. Well, I, I might be one of those because there's a joke in my neighborhood that the UPS truck's at my house three times a day. Yeah. Um, we, we have a nanny and she comes over and you know, most people think it's the wives ordering the stuff, but it's typically me. I've got an addiction to fishing equipment. Yeah, um, I've seen your, I've seen your tackle boxes. But yeah. but it is easy because you're like, man, I need that, I need that. And I, I actually spent about two weeks, um, about a month ago, organizing my fishing tackle. And mm-hmm. my wife was like, "What are you doing?" And I started putting everything in the wall to see what I had. And I realized I'd bought the same thing, right? Like 15 different times because I didn't know I had it. And it it had it become a little bit of an addiction. Like I have to have this, even though I haven't used what I have in the last right. five years. Give me another one. Your brother, you know, he's a fishing rod manager and sells fishing rods. Well, I have to have another fishing rod. Right. We can only fish with one. Well, fish don't know how many poles you have. I mean, exactly. <laughs> but but it is. It, it's the analogy. So there's both sides of that addiction spectrum that like, man, I really need to have this. It'll catch the next big fish or whatever it may be. Um, so I think that's interesting that, that you actually talk about, about that a lot. Um, but tell us a little bit more about the book, yeah. um, what your goals for this book are, um, what your true... I guess goal is here. I know it's to probably bring awareness, but what else can you tell us that is relevant to our conversation, but at the same time, just maybe can help people in general? Well, one of the best compliments I had for the book, Roger, was um, a good friend of mine. I I gave him some advanced reading of the manuscript beforehand and kind of wanted his opinion on some things. Uh, I was concerned about putting some things in there that would uh, be a little strong. I I can get opinionated occasionally and I, I need to kind of dial things back. But he said, you know, Jeff, uh, I, I couldn't put it down, but then I had to put it down. And I kind of thought, oh, no, you know, what did they say? And he said, no, I had to go hug my kids and tell them I, I love them. And I thought, you know, that's exactly what I was trying to capture in this book. I, I did lose a son, but I'm not a grieving father. Um, I'm, I refuse to participate in, in that, uh, that dialogue, I guess. Um, I'm a motivated father at this point, um, and I'm, I'm not allowing my son to die because I want to continue talking about him. And if I can, if I can get parents to understand that my son Seth, at seven years old, is the same of, as as any of you that have seven year olds in this office, or any of my clients that have seven year olds, he was no different. So how did he end up from seven years old being that cute, nice kid with believing in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and all the things that every parent goes through, to being you know dying in a hotel room in in Waterloo, Iowa, with heroin? Uh, it was a predictable outcome but it was also very preventable. Um, The the things that I learned looking back in hindsight now, things that we could have possibly approached a little bit more aggressively. Um, And specifically one of them is the prescription of uh, medicine for ADD. That's something I will take to my grave that I allowed um, myself not to research that. If you take Adderall now and Google it, it says it has a prescription, it has the addictive elements similar to methamphetamine. So you know, at worst, uh, at worst, I should have Googled it, but I didn't. Um, and I don't torture myself playing the hindsight game. There's not a lot of benefit doing that. Um, and I can't go back in time. But what I've learned about this is that when we are with clients, Roger, and we're talking about lake homes and cars and boats and trips and, and 401ks and all this stuff, 
at the end of the day, you need to ask him, when's the last time you've seen your grandkids? When's the last time you, you told your, your, your 40 year old son who's going through a divorce and he's an alcoholic that you love him? You know, when, when have you had these conversations? And that, that is probably the clarity that I have now seen in, in this business. And, you know, it took losing a child to have to realize these things. And, um, you know, one thing's certain about this, we're all going to die. All of us are going to die at some point, and you just don't always die in the right order. And we're used to burying grandparents and pets and stuff. You just aren't used to burying kids. And uh, unfortunately, um, my story is being repeated 185 times a day in the United States. 185 times a day, uh, families are touched by this. Uh, the year in 2016 when Seth died, there was 185 opioid overdoses in the year in Iowa. Today, there's 185 a day in the country. So I'm just, I'm one voice. I'm one person in one city, in, in one state, in, in one country, really. And so, um, you know, has this made me a better financial advisor? It's made me a different financial advisor. Um, I got you guys around picking all the investments, so I don't do that lot, a lot of that anymore. Um, but I still enjoy the relationships with people, but I, I don't enjoy talking much about under the hood stuff like I used to, Roger. Um, and maybe I've kind of earned that. But after I, 31 years. But I think, too, the, the real value that we provide isn't just the under-the-hood stuff. The real value Very is little in, value, actually. It, it is. Yeah. And, and there's studies out by Vanguard that quantifies what our value is. Right. And the number one part of it is the behavioral portion. Right. And, you know, I, I'd venture to guess that if you think about why you're accumulating money or why you're trying to get to retirement. Right. Most people's goals just have money. Right. But think about what that money really does for you. It provides you the ability to have experiences with your family, right. provides you the income that you want to have. And you know, in your situation, you guys didn't probably get to enjoy all the experiences that you wanted with Seth. Um, and money probably wasn't as important anymore right. as it was before. I don't think people think about that. They're so focused on their career, their life, that we just have to keep going forward right. and get more money versus you know maybe spending more time with our family or taking more vacations or just being more attentive in their life. And one thing I found out too that um, in telling my story, um, and I'm very comfortable now talking about it, uh, once people see that I'm vulnerable, that hey, you know, he's human, you know, he's had, he had a gambling problem, he was an alcoholic, he lost a child to heroin, um, then they start telling me their problems. And sometimes it takes, it takes you to open up like that to get people. And once you get down to the real root of all these issues, and then the conversation isn't about a $35 a year fee for an yeah. IRA. And if that is the only conversation in your appointment, I'm not the financial <laughs> advisor for you. Um, and you're definitely not the client for our firm. Um, those are just things that just don't interest me anymore. And unfortunately, that early in my career was where people spent all their time. We never talked about the other stuff. And now I see you guys coming out of appointments, you know, before COVID, hugging clients, yeah. tears in their eyes. And I said, well, what'd you do, Roger? You know, make them mad? No, we talked about their... Uh, you know, their grandson who, who died in a car wreck. And I'm like, well, well, that's, these are the conversations we need to have with people. The why are you doing this in the first place? Yeah. Right. No, I, I think that we're doing a good job on that front of really educating people that it's not just about the money. I read an article this morning on one of the websites I follow and said, is it the cost or the value? And mm -hmm. that's what people sh should be looking at. It's not a cost. What value are you providing me right. from, from a financial standpoint? Because if it's just a cost, like you said, the low cost provider is not us. It's on the internet. And the low cost provider will always be around the corner. <laughs> or, or it's kind of like, you know, if you sign up for low cost, as I jokingly tell my dad, you signed up for no service. Right. So I remember this conversation I had with my dad. This is probably 10 years ago. He bought a car 
And it was early on in the kind of internet car buy, not early, but you know, not like it is today. Everybody who buys a car goes to the internet and looks at the pictures. My dad had found the car at a local dealership in town and decided he was gonna go an hour away to get the car because at a lower price on the internet. So he drives an hour away and negotiates the price with them. Second thought, so I really wanna buy it from this dealership. So he drives back down here right. to his local dealership and said, well, they'll give me the same car for this price. And it was a super low margin, right? It was an internet deal. So they sold my dad the car. Lo and behold, a year later goes by. And my dad and I are on a fishing trip. We're driving down the road and he's telling me this story. And he goes, uh, yeah, I tried to take my car for service and they, they just didn't really wanna help me. Hmm. I go, oh, really? I said, well, well, you signed up for no service. Right. <laughs> he goes, no, I bought a car from them. I said, no, no. <laughs> They didn't make any money, so right. you signed up for no service. Right. I said, you pay for good quality service. It's not free. Um, so it's one of the things we want to do is build a relationship not based upon price and cost, but what's the value we can provide somebody in their overall picture. And we don't talk about it a lot. We talk about the finance, but it's the behavioral portion. And yeah. you've talked about this for the better part of 10 years. And you know, a lot of the stuff I've learned about the behavioral side of this is actually from you. Um, so I appreciate that. But I think that it's the most successful part. Who's the great investor that says if your investments are exciting, then you're not making money? I don't know, but Is that it's Warren true. Buffett or, I mean, Jonas would know this, but <laughs> somebody said if your investments are exciting, you're not making money. And I, yeah. You know, that, that really kind of is, is uh, how you have to look at this. You know, um, that's actually a really good point. So COVID, what did everybody become starting in March and April? Day traders. Right. And, and they, we've seen this many times. Yeah, There's a specific stock that's up like 400%. Yeah. I think you actually own it, but it's up like 400%. Well, that's exciting, right? Does that mean you're gonna be successful long-term? Maybe no. or maybe not. No. Where the balance portfolio or whatever portfolio kind of fits whatever your financial plan dictates, right. it's boring. But right. owning individual stocks is exciting because you can look at the, every day it's up, it's down. And you know, it's that's almost like an addiction in itself. Can I watch this? percentage go up and down every single right. day. Well, it's it's like we had conversations with gold all the time, you know, that would, should I buy gold? And, and my answer has always been yes. And they're like surprised because I they think a lot of us are anti-gold. And I said, no, it's it's not the asset owning gold that's the problem. It's how much of it you own. So should you own silver? Should you own real estate? Yeah, it's, it's all a function of diversification. So I'm not, I'm not against asset classes. I'm not against day trading stocks as long as it's in a, in a bucket that you can afford to lose all your money. And I got to thinking as you were talking about, so what, what are some of the solutions to the problems we've identified? You know, addiction issues, spending issues, lack of, of, uh, of, of um, happiness, lack of peace, or let's, let's say the illusion of chasing happiness is what I call it. What are some of these solutions? Well, one that comes to mind is something we've been talking about a long time, and that's the bucket strategy, the bucket system, where we have investments um, uh, kind of um, set up in advance for certain tasks. So. In our bucket system, we have bucket one, which is cash, bucket two is income, bucket three is growth. But I've always liked to have that spending bucket. You know, Maybe first of the year you put 10,000 in a bucket and you tell your spouse or, or your significant other, by the end of the year, we have to have this spent. Our yeah. goal is to spend that money. So we're gonna go on two trips. Maybe we're only gonna take one. And then you're not looking at spending money out of things that you need, but you've set aside that money each year to go enjoy. That's one way to kind of deal with a, a compromise and to still grow your money, but then allocate some money that you can actually spend on yourself. Jeff, those are really good points about the bucket system. And it made me think about something in a future guest we're going to have. And Jonas has actually been on before, but he wrote a book called The No Budget Lifestyle. Um, and we found that, you know, 
budging isn't bad, but most don't work. And right. what the bucket system allows people to do is really segment their money by responsibilities. And that's how you dehumanize or take the emo emotional behavior right. out of it. And, and that I really like putting a bucket of spending money there too. because everybody spends money on discretionary things. So what you've really done is created yourself this little budget item, but if you don't spend it, you have to go spend it. And it goes back to the financial hoarding. People don't want to spend it. In fact, what's the, we have 25% of the general public actually finds it painful to spend money. Like, yep. I mean, it's fun for me to spend money. I like to do right. it. Like I know that I'm the spender in my family, but 25% don't want to spend money. And that would force them to go buy the splurge that they think they can ever afford, or as you allude to, go see their grandkids in Florida. Right. Um, so, so the bucket system is paramount to really success for anybody, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, you can kind of create that into a budget line item per se, I should say. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is um, at the end of the day, all we, all we really have are experiences that we have. And um, I talked about uh, experiences with my son, Seth, that. Um, you know, I, I didn't know he was going to die at 23. I didn't have 24 and 25 and 26. And actually tomorrow's his birthday. He'd be 27. Um, but I did have the time before 23 to enjoy being with him and all those special moments that we had. So you never know when you're going to get that call. I mean, all of us at one time, I think the older you get, the bad news is the more trauma that you endure. Um, you know, it's mathematically high likely probability that as you get into your 40s and 50s and 60s, you're going to start having people very close to you pass away. So you need you need to learn to, to deal with these things when they happen. I think in the last 18 months, I've had five people that I have relationships with. Right. Pre-50 who've passed away. And yep. it changes. Well, you just had a, a fishing friend. I saw that. Just on passed yep. away. Yep. I mean, Tommy Scarlett. Tommy Scarlett. I think Tommy was born in 65, so he's 55. And but anyone in the fishing industry knew of this guy. He's yep. in the fishing hall. Yep. He's in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. He arguably is the best walleye angler right. of all time. Um, and he recently passed away of a, of a brain cancer, 17 months to the day. But it makes you step back and look and it say. It wakes you up. If you're a financial yep. hoarder and you're never enjoying right. life, well, you might not get there. And it, it scared me. I told my wife, I said, you know, I want to make sure I'm spending time with the family and, yeah. you know, enjoying it now. But see, just why, in why, case. why does it take a death to make people realize it's crazy. that? And I, I figured out with my son, it's like, why did it take my son to pass away, our son, to die for me to all of a sudden have this, you know, moment of, of clarity in my life? And, and it shouldn't have come to that. And if he wouldn't have passed away, um, and I, I, I got to be careful how I say this because it may sound callous, but. I wouldn't be the man I am today. I feel like I'm a much better human being on this planet helping people than I was before he passed. Although I thought I was a great dad back then too, but my other two boys, Roman and Ian, uh, boy, I tell you what, anything they say, I jump, I listen, my ears are wide open. I'm very attentive. I'm appreciative of every moment I have with them because it could literally be taken away like it was with Seth, literally in a flash of a, of a moment. I think one of the things that I've worked with you, obviously through all of this and I think something we've all learned is that sometimes we take our careers, our jobs a little bit too serious. Not that money's not serious, just mm -hmm. we're putting all of our effort or 80% of our effort into that. Right. And I've watched you kind of not step back, but change your role at the company. And this would go for any job. I mean, it could be any job. You've changed your role and financially, you're the same or better than you were then. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I feel like your life in general, you feel more full in what you're doing. Find me with somebody in their deathbed that says, I wish I had another zero behind my 401k, okay. or I wish I had more experiences with my family. You won't find one human being on the planet yep. that'll say the first thing. So if we know that at 54, 
uh, I know that is how I'm going to think if I had an opportunity to know I was going to die. A lot of people just, they don't have that luxury. Um, but if I had the ability to look back on my life, almost every regret I would have, every regret I would have would have nothing to do with money. Yeah, I almost guarantee that. And if anyone that says otherwise needs to really kind of have that conversation with their biggest critic and their biggest supporter, and that's the person in the mirror looking back at you. That's someone you can't lie to, you know. So if you don't know what your issues are in life, just go talk to yourself in the mirror <laughs> because if you can't communicate with what's looking back at you, um, then you've got some some serious issues. you got to start figuring out your priorities in your life. Yeah, I, this has actually been a really fun show for me um, because it's not just about all these financial strategies. It's the more humanized element. Um, I hope you've had a good time today. And, you know, I think – why don't you share where – if you want to yeah. get a copy of the book, yeah. where you can get it. I know it will be on our website at btwellshow.com. Um, and also the survival guide that Jeff shared will be on, be on the website. But tell us a little bit about where we can go buy this book. I know the big launch, you know, just happened. Right. And um, – you know, we, I think it's a meaningful book for everybody to go take a look at and uh, see if you can learn something from That's it. That's a picture of Seth and with an actual rainbow. We kind of made it uh, look very inspirational for people. The book is written in a very good good tone, and it's not something you'll put down and feel depressed. I mean, it's very inspirational. But um, people can get it at thechoicesnetwork.org. Again, it's thechoicesnetwork.org, and they can uh, pre-order or order once the book comes out. Um, but it's a nice read. It's about a four-hour read. It's about 230 pages. Uh, a year's worth of research and interviews in here. So it's um, an uplifting story, but unfortunately to get to the uplifting part, I have to kind of dive into the abyss early in the story. So, uh, which was very difficult to do, but extremely therapeutic for me as well. Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I think you wrote a great book, but I also think it's kind of neat how you're trying to tie this book back into our world because right. it's really the part, there's not many people talking about this in our industry. Right. Um, to people and people probably don't realize they're financial hoarders or excessive spenders. Right. They just do it and they can't figure out, you know, how to get happy. So I, I really appreciate you coming on today. Is there anything else you want to want to add before we give the closing remarks? No, here? I just uh, trying to get people to understand that there's more important things in life than money. Uh, money creates time, and we talk about that a lot. Um, it shouldn't create uh, material things for you, um, although it, it does, and it, it that's okay. Uh, we all have to have cars and houses, and yeah. some of us have to have boats and and fishing lures and things like that. But, um, but no, uh, enjoy your kids, your family. Uh, don't wait for tomorrow to tell your kids you love them. Um, do it when you get home today from work, and, and uh, you won't regret it, trust me. Well, that, that's a that's a great show for this week. Thanks, Jeff, for being our guest. Once again, if uh, you want to check us out on the website, it's btwellshow.com. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again, Jeff. I hope. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.